Welcome back to the Growth for Educators podcast, and if this is your first one, welcome to episode two. Um, had some good feedback from uh, episode one, and I'm excited to see that some people are listening and kind of paying attention a little bit and uh, giving some feedback. I really, really enjoy that, and I think after today's episode, I think um, I think a few more of you will be interested in providing some feedback. Because um, we're going to talk about what happens when teachers aren't good for kids and when it's time to, to, to let a teacher go or um, when it's time to step down. And that's hard to do. And uh, so today I wanted to um, just kind of give you a little background on my first teaching gig and kind of provide some insight into where that has taken me or how that has shaped my thinking on education. Because I think my first role, my first gig as a teacher really played a huge part in um, where my mindset is at today. So let's kind of jump right into that. Uh, my first job, my first teaching gig was at a Job Corps campus um, here in Kansas. And um, I wasn't quite sure what that was going to be like, but it was offered to me. I actually was um, given the opportunity. I was given two options when I applied with the school district. Um, and in fact, I had when I graduated from Kansas State University, there were no art positions open. So I jumped right into my master's degree and was going to go into athletic administration at the collegiate level, which sounded awesome because I love college sports. I just I love the scope, the projects, the big departments and all that good stuff. And what better way to spend your Saturday than around college football, you know, uh, especially when you love college football. But I realized partway through my first semester that uh, maybe that's not a path I wanted to pursue. There was a lot of politics involved with that. Little did I know the politics that were coming into education or that were already there. But uh, I didn't believe in what I was originally wanting to do. So um, I decided to get out of that before I spent too much more money or borrowed too much more money as usually is the case with student loans. Um, so I applied with the school district there in Manhattan, and two jobs came available. Neither were art teaching positions. Both were paraeducator roles within the district. One was in a middle school helping a kiddo go into the bathroom. That was my would have been my primary function. And the other was a paraeducator in a classroom out at this Job Corps campus where I would be helping tutor at-risk kids um, in, in their online classes and get their high school diploma. Uh, that sounded much more appealing to me than helping a kiddo go to the bathroom. And, and I understand now, I didn't understand at the time, but I understand now that at that time, um, successfully going to the bathroom for this kid was a huge success. Um, not having an accident um, and doing those things were, were a major, um, win for him every single day. And so the role of that paraeducator at the time, I just thought was silly, but now I understand was extremely important. Uh, but I am glad that I took the role that I did and I got to help a lot more kids uh, versus just one in that classroom. Um, the classroom I was working in actually was being um, held by a long-term sub. They were short a staff member and um, that person was a finance major at K-State and was just doing that for some money um, on the side. 
just to help kind of pay the bills. He had no desire to stay in that role for very long. Once he and I got kind of talking, I realized that um, there would be a position open. And so I expressed interest to that and that to our, our leader, our director, and told him that I was interested and that role came open and I was moved into that role as a classroom teacher the following school year. So I was a paraeducator in that classroom, I think, for about a semester. And then I rolled into the teach the classroom teacher. And for a first teaching gig, man, it was pretty sweet. Um, Job Corps goes year-round for the most part. I think we had a week off Christmas and a week or two off in the summer. For the most part, we were year-round and we went till four o'clock. So outside of our normal teaching contract, we got paid for an extra um, hour to teach those kids. And then um, we were paid extra also through the summer and during those breaks that we didn't get. So our contract looked a little bit different. In my first year as an educator, I made $43,000. That is pretty awesome for a first year educator, especially in the state of Kansas, when um, averages right now, um, starting salary with no experience coming right out of your bachelor's degree, um, the state average I think is around $34,000. So I was already in the plus there. Uh, I, I learned probably more in my first year as an educator and about education than I did in the next eight years. Um, It was astonishing, the things that I learned. Not so much about education, but about the politics that are in play, about how not everyone is good for kids. And so uh, Job Corps was a a different kind of situation where our kids would come to class in the mornings, Real, it was actually it was all day. Um, they had different schedules where they might be doing a trade part of the day and then coming to us for part of the day, or they might start with us and then go to their trade. Um, and their trades varies um, depending upon you know they were, we had cement masonry, we had facility maintenance, we had a um, computer trade where they really worked on how to be administrative assistants. We had a CNA program where the the kids. Um, to classes uh, and then become certified uh, CNAs to go out and work. And the goal for these kids was to finish their high school diploma or GED, learn a trade and graduate from that program so that they could then leave campus and, and walk right into the workforce and be successful. And for the most part, Job Corps was fairly successful at that. Um, we had a lot of kids go out and do some pretty cool things. And we had some kids that didn't make it through Job Corps campus. Um, it was a tough place to be. We had ages 16 through 24. And when you're asking a 16 year old kid to be independent and live on their own, pay their own bills, um, manage their behavior, that's a really tough thing to do. Uh, they lived on campus. We There were a couple of dorm buildings. And we had residential advisors, RAs that lived there. And really those were low paid folks who didn't necessarily have a lot of training working with kids. And so I learned how to manage behaviors from day one when they would walk into my classroom because a lot of times they would come pissed off from the dorms because the RA was yelling at them for not cleaning up their mess or uh, maybe they got into it with another student and they had no coping skills. They had no way to manage those behaviors or deal with them after the fact so they could go and have a successful day. So I learned very quickly that 
my classroom was not necessarily a place just to complete coursework online and get a high school diploma, but my class was a a classroom was a place for the kids to vent and to learn how to manage emotions and talk through things. And I learned that very quickly. It's not something that I was prepared for. It's not something that I was taught um, in in teacher school. You know, in teacher school, we're taught how to develop lesson plans and how to write curriculum. Um, we're not taught a lot of the soft skills. At least we weren't when I was there. And I thought my program was fantastic. I thought K-State did a great job with their education program. But I'm starting to realize in talking with other educators that in current students in education programs, there's still not a lot of soft skills taught. Um, um, I, I do remember one time there was a, a, um, an example that one of our professors uh, showed us where a student was set up, she had worked it out with him before, to throw a Mountain Dew bottle, an empty soda pop bottle, across the room to the trash can while she was instructing. And she stopped and stared at this kid, and I kid you, 72 or 73 students, college-age students in that classroom, couldn't have been more quiet. And probably half of us slumped down in our chairs because we thought this kid was going to get reamed. And the teacher was giving an example of how to just simply use body language, facial expressions, and just the look. And that's what I remember about soft skills in my teacher school. And so I hope that, you know, you think back to your teacher school, your education, that you had a better um, or more experience in using soft skills. But the more I learn about soft skills, it really is, there's a talent to it, but it's something that you have to develop through experience. There's not, you know, somebody can tell you about soft skills and how to use soft skills, how to love on a kid, how to be firm with a kid or win, or, but you're not really gonna understand it until you practice it. And that is where I got my biggest education in teaching. One of my first students was actually a few months older than I was. And so I was 24, she also was 24, so she was aging out of our program, but she was a few months older than I was. This young lady didn't know left from right. And that baffled me. I, I just could not comprehend that someone didn't know left from right at the age of 24 or even five, right? I mean, that's kind of when kids start to develop those skills. and. and and I didn't understand it, and I struggled with that. I didn't believe her, but as I started to pay attention to my soft skills and really get to know the kid, I understood, or I didn't understand, but I got a feeling of where this kiddo came from, how they grew up, how they really had never been to school, and had never really been socialized. Um, she was awkward, she was shy, but man, don't cross her. Man, you cross that girl, and she would light you up. It didn't matter if you were an educator, um, if you were a residential advisor in the dorm, if you were the center director, or if you were just another student in class. It didn't matter. But she knew how to light you up if, if, you, if you pissed her off. And so those were some things that I had to learn how to work around. And once I kind of understood her background a little bit, I was able to better teach her in class and help guide her through some of the lessons 
and I even taught her left from right. As silly as it sounds, she didn't just leave with a high school diploma, but she also knew left from right. Because she also had a child. She had a young daughter that was in the daycare there at our center. And I wanted to make sure that she was able to provide better for her daughter than was provided for her. And at the very least, teach her daughter those simple things like left and right so that her daughter didn't have to struggle through elementary, middle school, and high school. Um, so that's a, a, a brief example of one of the students that I had to work with, um, that I got to work with, but so many struggled with just simple things. And a lot of it was impulse control, behavior control. And um, while we had some fantastic teachers there, um, there were still a lot of people on campus that didn't know how to work with kids. And it was a real struggle for me to watch the interactions from some of the adults that these kids um, came across every single day to watch the interactions with these kids and they were treated like dirt. They were belittled, talked down to, called names, um, written up for silly things that could have just simply been handled by a conversation. And so I watched this, I paid attention to it. I was new, um, didn't really know how the education process worked when it comes to dealing with difficult adults. And so I didn't say a whole lot to those adults. Actually, I probably didn't say anything to the adults, but I really paid attention to the kids and how they reacted to how things were said to them, what was done to them. And I used that, used that information to build better relationships with kids and be that guy, be that teacher that they knew they could trust and work hard with and for and was going to have their back uh, when it came to difficult situations. And so I really use those situations and information to help kids build so that they could ultimately leave and be a better human being. That, because that was our goal, right? It was to graduate, go out and be a successful, productive member of society. So I did a lot of reflecting in that first year in my supervisor and then also in our center director, one of the, well, I wasn't a center director, he was assistant director of the center um, and the way they dealt with kids was really really challenging for me so paying attention to that I wanted to make sure that my career in education did not go like that I wanted to take that information and I wanted to build a career on it and build a reputation as an educator that kids could trust and respect and knew that he was going to be there for them and so that became my path, my chosen path. I also realized that there is a better way to do leadership and to work for some people or work with people who didn't have kids' best interests in, at heart um, was unacceptable for me. And so when it came time and the opportunity came up for me to, to, to transition and move on, it was pretty clear to me that that our, our supervisor was not going to go anywhere. Um, and it became clear to me that there was nowhere else the district wanted him to be. And that troubled me as well. And that kind of gets us into our, our, our today's topic of when it's time for teachers to step away or when, when we as administrators, as district staff need to ask teachers to step down. Um, 
I watched this gentleman treat kids poorly and with no, didn't seem to be any desire or end in sight. And I really, really struggled with that my first year. And again, that fueled me to build a career based on better things. Um, so, yeah, I, that's kind of my first year in education. Um, that's kind of what fueled me to where I'm at today and kind of what we'll talk about. Uh, what I want to talk about next is when it's time to step down as an educator. And that's a really, really hard thing to do because for a lot of us, it's our livelihood, right? We hear that a lot. It's our livelihood. This is all I know. This is what I was born to do. This is what, um, if you believe in God, this is what God put me on earth to do. And we hear that all the time, but we don't always hear the words and see the actions that match that. And we often forget why we do what we do in talking with kids and working with kids um, because we, we get burnt out. We feel unsupported. We're tired. We're overworked. We're underpaid. And we let those things weigh on us. And then those things carry over into the classroom. So in my 14-year career, um, I probably every year I've worked or witnessed, worked with or witnessed, um, an educator that it was either time to go or they just simply never belonged in the classroom. And um, when you're a coworker, that's a really difficult conversation to have um, because it's really not your place administratively to have that conversation. But when you think about the kids and what's best for kids, um, somehow it needs to be approached. And it's never a welcome conversation. I'm sure as you hear this, you're thinking about a colleague, someone you've worked with, or maybe somebody you've worked for um, in the past, or maybe right now, that really doesn't need to be in the classroom anymore. Whether they are burnt out and there's no end in sight, or actually they should have been selling used cars instead of working with kids, right? Um, so many people get into education because they think it's easy and we get the summers off and it's not a bad paycheck for only working nine months out of the year and then they get into it and realize, holy shit, this is a lot of work. It's hard. Dealing with kids is tough. Dealing with parents is tougher. Um, I don't always get the support I need from my administrator. I don't always get the support I need and the backing I need from my district. And so... But they've gotten into education and they've been in it a few years and they feel like, I don't know what else to do. I don't know where else I would go. And so they stick it out, right? I can do this for nine more months because I'm going to get the summer off and I'll just sit by the pool and drink margaritas and then I'll be ready to go in August. And then August comes and they're dreading it. They got those professional development days, you know, and you've been sitting in those PD days and there's people to your left and right bitching and moaning about how they're here already. It just seemed like yesterday we got out of school. Why aren't you excited to be there? Those are the questions that you ask and you have when you hear those people, or maybe you are one of those people. And so um, that kind of thinking back to those pieces and this kind of fed into my um, Instagram post on, on the 28th yesterday on our Growth for Educators page about how we have a hard time in education telling people it's time to step down or asking them to step down. And there's a lot of factors behind that. 
why don't we do that very often? You know, we have the unions, right? That's a difficult thing to get by. And the unions are there for a reason. It was there, it was put in, it was put in place for good reason initially. But I really believe a large, there are a number of teachers who hide behind the union, who truly don't belong in the classroom and in education in general, and hide behind the union to keep their job. They do the bare minimum, and they're hiding. Um, you can argue that all you want, but we, we all know, we know someone who is using that union to hide. Um, but yeah, the union's a good place, in place for a good reason, to protect those good educators from um, um, termination when not warranted, um, to protect a contract, and uh, yeah, the union's a whole different piece, but we know why it's there, okay? Um, but I do think that we've got to be able to stand up to the union when it's time for an educator to go. And that means we have to do our due diligence as administrators. We have to make the observations. We have to put the growth plan in place and we have to meet with those educators and make sure they're following that growth plan and make sure they're meeting that growth plan and having those really difficult conversations. Is this really what you wanna do? Is there something else that would make you a happier individual, happier at home, happier in life to be doing every day rather than standing in front of a classroom teaching 32 kids? Because I'm going to be honest with you, Mr. Jones, I hear from 22 of your students twice a week about how you don't seem happy. They're not getting much out of your classroom. That's a really difficult conversation to have, and there are very few administrators, district staff, willing to have that conversation. And that stinks, because when we forget or we don't want to take the time and confront and have that confrontation and have those difficult conversations, we're forgetting why we do what we do. We're forgetting about the kids. And if Mr. Jones is teaching the class or standing in front of the class is unhappy grumpy all day long, um, not treating kids well, but he's a warm body, that's unfair to the kids. Let's move on from that. Get someone else in the classroom who can do that job better and do Mr. Jones a favor and help him, guide him to something that he will be happier doing. Maybe he is supposed to be a car salesman. Maybe he would enjoy the thrill of the hunt and being on the lot every day and talking with clients and building relationships with them because he knows there's a financial reward after that client conversation if it goes well. There is no financial reward in education. We build a relationship with a student. The reward is that they come back and they want to learn more the next day. The reward is we've built a solid relationship that hopefully will impact those kids for the rest of their lives. That's the reward, and it just so happens that we can make some, somewhat of a financial living doing that. And so if that's you, you thrive on the reward of the relationship and seeing the kids be successful, and you can put on the back burner the amount of money that you're making or not making, 
And maybe that is for you. You probably do belong in education. And sometimes we just get a little burnt out. Those, those teachers and, and administrators that do belong in education at times just simply get burnt out. We do a lot during the day. We get tired. Uh, summers off really isn't a thing, right? We may not report to the building, to the classroom every single day during, you know, for some of us, uh, middle of June till, till the 1st of August or, or the middle of July, depending on your contract um, and the state you work in. But during that time, good educators are always prepping. They're always finding new things to do for the following school year. They're building one, two, three school years ahead. That's what their summer is for. To be honest with you, the kids need a break as well. They need that mental break uh, in their day. Now, well, you know, we've got some European models that are year-round schools, but they have um, smaller breaks throughout the school year. But they're still having that mental break um, from that constant uh, barrage of education. Okay, uh, So kind of back to the topic of you know, when teachers aren't good for students, um, we as a, as, a, as a profession, we have to get back into the swing of things of doing our due diligence, having those difficult conversations, and helping teachers grow. So how do we know when they're not good for the classroom, they're not good for the kids, versus just they're simply burnt out? There is no evaluation tool for that. There is no um, scale there's no Likert scale. There's no multiple choice piece that you can set and, and doodle and, and circle and try and figure that out. There's no mathematic equation. It's common sense. It's what your gut tells you, right? When you see interactions with a teacher and kids and generally they're positive and kids generally say good things about that teacher and you observe them in the classroom and you see quality things or you hear quality things, that's common sense. That's a teacher doing what they're supposed to be doing and being good for kids. But if you pay attention in the hallway without uh, making it obvious that you're paying attention or you pay attention in the classroom without making it obvious that you're noticing and you hear how they're talking with kids, you see their interactions. If they're just stuck behind a desk the majority of the day and they're not getting out and teaching, are we there for the right reason? Are we there just to collect a check? Are we there to enhance the lives of kids? What's the real reason that that person is in that classroom? We have to have that difficult conversation. We have to ask that question. Why do you teach? What brings you back to school every single day? Something else to pay attention to. What do sick days look like? Are we seeing Are we seeing an increase in the number of days? And if we are, is there really something going on? Maybe there's been a diagnosis that the teacher needs to take care of. Understandable. But maybe they're just taking extra mental health days. That, that's a telling sign that they're either getting burnt out, maybe something's going on at home, Maybe they're just done in the classroom, but we're not going to know the answer to that unless we have a conversation. And I've heard this from an administrator that I worked for 
Chad, we can't have those conversations. We can't ask about those things because of the contract, because of the union. I'm calling bullshit. I'm saying right now, if you value the teachers in your building and you are truly doing what's best for kids, you would be protected in having that tough conversation. Because the fallback is, this person isn't good for kids, here's why. It's not a personal vendetta. That person used to be my neighbor and I didn't like the way they parked their car in my yard. Right? Clearly something else is going on there. But when you can back it on what's good for kids, data's down, teacher attendance is down, teacher stu- or student incident reports are up. When you can find those facts, you can have that difficult conversation and be protected. So many of us are afraid to do that. And I, I don't understand that. I've had many difficult conversations with um, teachers that I have worked with that when I was in an administrative role, had those conversations with. They're not easy. Nobody's saying they're easy. But you got to have them because ultimately it's what's best for kids. And I always felt supported when I kept the kids in mind. And that's what we have to get back to. And that's where we've gotten so far away in education is the lack of thought in what's good for kids. We're not paying attention to that anymore. We have to get back into that. Um, I would love your feedback on this topic. This is a huge topic for me and, and has really shaped, you know, my first year, that first year that I talked about earlier has really shaped where my mind is in education. And as, you know, as I continue to talk about my career and how it's progressed, and then all of a sudden just kind of stopped in education, um, I think you'll understand further my mindset along this path um, because it wasn't just my first year that I dealt with some with someone or a couple of people who weren't great for kids and um, just generally didn't belong in education, but it's kind of been throughout my career path. And I know, you know, you're listening to this, you're working with someone right now who it's probably time to go. Or maybe you work for an administrator that just simply doesn't have kids' best interests at heart. And so how do we have those conversations and still keep our job, right? How do we do that? And I would love your feedback on that because this is one of those things that you can't, you can't buy an assessment tool or an evaluation tool. These are soft skills that are, that are learned through experience. And so the more we can talk about these things, the more we can share and help people grow to have these difficult conversations, um, I think we'll just continue to enhance the education experience for all the kids and then continue to support educators. And maybe we're not losing the good ones and we can maybe say bye to the not so good ones. Because we're right now, the good ones are figuring it out and they're saying, I don't, I don't have the energy, the time for this. This bullshit. I'm going to go do something else where I'm appreciated. And that's the educator that we needed in the classroom. But we now we lost them. So talk about it. Send me an email. Um, 
The email address is growthforeducators at gmail.com. It's growth, the number four, educators. You can find us on Instagram at growthforeducators. Again, growth, the number four, educators. Uh, also on our Facebook uh, page at Growth for Educators, and four is actually spelled out that time. So, um, yeah, thanks for joining me today, and I hope this has provoked some thought for you. And when teachers aren't good for students anymore, how can we fix that? We'd love your input. Have a great day.